Hey, this is Dante, and you're listening to the Smoking Profit Podcast. And before we get started, just got to go over this quick disclaimer. Today, we're sharing what we witnessed on Surviving R. Kelly. First, this episode is not suitable for all ages, as the content we will discuss may be graphic in nature. Second, the content we're sharing does not reflect our thoughts and views. We are only sharing information. Our aim is to be as objective as possible, and we also want to acknowledge that R. Kelly has denied all claims of sexual assault, domestic violence, and sexual misconduct with minors. Yep. Thank you, Dante, for the introduction. This is Lola, creator of thesmokingprofit.com. Thanks for tuning in. Yes. So we just got finished watching part one and part two of Surviving R. Kelly. And yes. I must say that it's definitely been a wild ride. Yeah. Um, the first part is titled The Pied Piper of R&B. And it starts out talking about R. Kelly and his gift. And how honestly, amazingly talented it is. It was, it started out as a beautiful documentary. Yes. Talking about his life mm-hmm. and his musical gifting and how he was discovered. And that just made me think about songs that I remember that I really, really liked by R. Kelly. Yeah, me too. So like, let's start out with that. Okay. Um, my name, my favorite. Step in the name of love. The first time you told me you liked that, you told me it was stepping in the name of love. Okay, so now you're just calling people out for no reason. <laughs> you told me it was stepping you in the name of love. You corrected me. I let it go. So now you're just being mean. Okay, so you like Step in the Name of Love. Why do you like that song so much? Uh, it's just a really nice melody. Um, I liked the video, and I liked the fact that it had dance moves to it. <laughs> step, step, side to side. No. No, like they used to actually do that. Dance I... I did not like that song. I did. First of all, I didn't like Step in the Name of Love. I did not like that. I'm not going to use the adjective I wanted to use to describe how I felt about that song, but I did not like it at all. I liked I Believe I Can Fly. Okay. I like that one. I Wish. Don't know that one. And I know somebody's going to be like, you like that song? I liked Ignition. Me too. I did. (laughs) It was really, really... Yeah, good song. (laughs) It was. But I can't say the last time that I've actually listened to any of um, R. Kelly's music or intentionally like pulled up those songs. Me neither. It's been a while. It may pop up randomly on my iTunes, but it's never like it's not something I pick. Yeah. But we can't deny his talent and his gift. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Even watching this video and seeing that some songs that he produced like or wrote like I didn't even know you know exactly yeah so let's go ahead and get into it again the first part of surviving R. Kelly is called the Pied Piper of R&B and the documentary again it's starting out talking about his life and all of Mm -hmm. those different things his two brothers are introduced yes Bruce Kelly, which is his older brother, mm-hmm. and then Carrie Kelly, which yes. is his younger brother. And they're basically just talking about their early life growing up in Chicago. So they grew up in income-based housing or low-income housing, the projects, mm-hmm. with his mother. Yes. And... His other sister, Teresa. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, four kids in total. And the mom, uh, it does not look like he had or any of the kids had their fathers in their life. Yeah. 
And the brothers talk about R. Kelly's nature as a young boy Mm -hmm. and how it was when they grew up with him. Carrie describes him as, quote, mild-mannered and also as, quote, afraid. Bruce describes his brother as, quote, shy and, quote, very timid. They also, and when I say they, R. Kelly's brothers, Carrie and Bruce, acknowledge that their brother had issues with reading. Yeah, in fact, Bruce actually goes about a uh, story uh, where he comes home and um, Kelly's actually crying in the bathroom. um, And Bruce is trying to find out why when he finally tells him uh, he gets upset that kids are teasing him about uh, not being able to read. And you can tell it, it definitely affected him. Right. And listening to all of this was like super somber Mm -hmm. because you think like, wow, he did not have the greatest time growing up. He couldn't have. And then looking at it like even beyond all of that, you were still able to accomplish so much musically, you know, and compose all of these things and produce and you know, write songs and you really weren't even able to read and write that well. Exactly. It's pretty amazing. But then it's like, wow, like all of your, all of your abilities are now overshadowed by this elephant that has been trailing you Mm -hmm. for a while because the allegations of sexual Misconducts yes. date back to where R. Kelly first started mm-hmm. as an artist, you know, to when he was first signed. And I can imagine, you know, some things may have been an issue before that. The documentary points out an interview that R. Kelly had in 2012 with Tavis Smalley. Tavis Smalley questions R. Kelly about his exposure to sex early. And R. Kelly responds saying that he was molested by family members starting at the age of 7 to 13 or 14 years old. And he admits that this awakened a curiosity in him about sex. Exactly. And it also goes in to say um, his brother, Carrie had a similar experience when he was six. So um, if that's the kind of experience that he's having growing up, then obviously you can see it affected him as well. Yeah. His music teacher, his high school music teacher, pointed this out as well, Dr. Lena McLenn. The interviewer asked her, did R. Kelly ever speak about his home life? And her response was, Quote, no, he didn't talk about that, but you knew about it because it came out in the music and what they express. You know, children express what they fear, they love, that's around them, you know. And he, he was very, very aggressive, unquote. So the interviewer at this point proceeded to ask her what she meant by aggressive. And she said, Quote, well, aggressive in some of his sexual language, too, which we had to discuss and say it wouldn't be appropriate at school, at school, Mm. unquote. And then she goes on to say that for that matter, the language wouldn't be appropriate, period, you know, because he was in high school at this point. Exactly. 
So he didn't have to talk about his home life because it was expressed in his music, according to what Dr. Lena Mecklen stated. Mm. And that's quite interesting because his music is highly sexual, which is one of the reasons why I stopped listening to it a while ago. Because it's just not something I wanted to listen to. Mm. You know, I'm saying, especially if you're not trying to have sex, I don't want to hear music about, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, give me something. It's like, I'm not trying to have sex. I don't need to listen to that. But even still, like, you and I being married now. Yeah, I'm not going to pop an R. Kelly taper, you know. Right. Like, no, I'm good. I don't want to have nasty thoughts. Like, no. Yeah. Okay. So let's we not go into that. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. And um, one of the big things that I did take away from um, early on is that R. Kelly used music to get away from um, the trouble he was having at home. That was his his source of escape, and that's why he got so um, enthralled into it, and and why um, he loved music because it was his you know way to get away from. Uh, the problems that he was having at home. Yeah, I can imagine what it's like at seven years old, you know what I'm saying, being molested. Wow. You know? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, you know, just one. It's at family members. Exactly. You know? And for years, too. And then the likelihood of telling is is not that high. So it's like, did you tell... And if you told, did anybody try to help you, you know? Mm-hmm. That's just not a good situation for any child to be in. So R. Kelly dropped out of high school his senior year. Yeah. And not long after this, he was signed. He entered into a contest, ended up winning contests, yes. $100,000, mm-hmm. and then ended up getting signed and boom, he's in the music and he's taken off. Yep. At this point, one of his backup singers was introduced. Her name is Javante Cunningham. Mm-hmm. She met R. Kelly at the age of 14. She said this was around 1991. She says that she witnessed R. Kelly engaging in sexual activities with one of her friends, mm-hmm. which was a minor in the recording studio while recording a popular song, Slow Dance, which was released in 1992. Wow. She also said that she met Aaliyah. Yes. Yeah, and she talked lovingly um, about her relationship with Aaliyah. She actually seemed to light up when she talked about her. Mm -hmm. She said she met Aaliyah when she was 12 years old. Now, R. Kelly produced Aaliyah's first album and also his first, her first, um, like, hit song, you know? Age Ain't Nothing But a Number. And the song, which I never thought about, even though it was really catchy, like, I just honestly remember that one line in the song, Mm -hmm. Age Ain't Nothing But but a Number, and Something Else Ain't Nothing But a Thing. But that's all I remember for the song. But the song was actually about a younger girl trying to get an older guy to go all the way with her yes and when we say all the way we're talking about like engaging in sexual activities with her 
You okay? Yeah, it's just um, thinking about that. She couldn't have been no more than 15 at the time. Yeah. And it's just not content you want from someone that age. So, I don't know. Wow. Which brings me to another point. Javante Cunningham, again, the backup singer of R. Kelly at this time, said that she saw R. Kelly having sex with Aaliyah on a tour bus. Wow. Said that, you know, often they would play pranks on the tour bus and they were playing pranks and they opened the door. And I guess this was to where he stayed. R. Kelly was sleeping and they were in there having sex. Wow. Yeah. That's okay. Um, yeah, and then it goes on to um, have an interview with Demetrius Smith, who was a uh, former personal assistant for R. Kelly and tour manager. And tour manager. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And um, he goes on to say that um, he ended up getting a call from R. Kelly, who's telling him that Leah may be in trouble. Um, they need to go back to Chicago um, because R. Kelly. Um, thinks that Aaliyah may be pregnant. Yeah. And, wow. And then, the documentary goes on to tell us that in August of, August 31st of 1994, Robert Kelly and Aaliyah were married. She was 15 years old at the time. The marriage certificate said that she was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Demetrius Smith, who is this person that R. Kelly told that Aaliyah might be pregnant. Yes. Was present when they got married, Aaliyah and R. Kelly, and said that she looked, quote, scared. Yes. He also stated that he forged the papers to make it look like she was 18 at the time. Yeah. Now, the documentary goes on to cut to uh, Ann Powers. Ann Powers is a music journalist, and she just talked about how music's culture back then sexualized teenagers and made it kind of okay yeah if we yeah. can use that i guess okay is gonna, right yeah. made it kind of like natural like mm-hmm. okay these teenagers we see them mm-hmm, you know yeah and their relationships with them and she talked about different artists like rock and roll artists yep that had like open relationships with teenagers. Wow. Yeah. And then I asked like you, I was like, well, for you, Dante, when you turn 18 and you're 18 years old and you got a young girl trying to talk to you, this underage, I was like, what was your response to it? No, immediately. I'm sorry. You have to be of age. Um, we're adults now. I need someone of age. Yeah, I think over time, like, that mentality is is changing, which is a good thing, because this lady talked about, like, Elvis Presley. Yeah. And talked about another popular rock and roll artist. I can't remember his name, but I remember his story, because he married his cousin. Yeah, and she was 13 at the time. Yeah. So, like, that, and then there's some other artists that I know... And then there's some songs that we know that people are talking about, like, underage girls, like popular R&B songs, you know? And then she even referenced, like, a Beatles song, Mm -hmm. made claims about a 17-year-old looking or something. Mm -hmm. 
So it's like, okay, that culture may have been that during that time, but it seems to be changing. Which is a good thing. I even remember for me growing up, like older guys didn't have a problem trying to talk to you. Wow. Yeah, like guys that are like 27. I remember like I was 15 years old and it was this guy who was like 27. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, wow. Like I I don't look like a woman first of all. I'm 15 years old. Mhm. You know. Yeah. But it's like now it's changing. That's why I asked you that to see your response even when I've looked at like history on sexual um misconduct and how I was reading an article from The Economist in 2018 but it talked about how sexual misconduct men to women is different for older generations and how younger generations are coming in and not doing that as much does that make sense? that does make sense yeah like how older generations these men kind of have the idea like you know this is okay and how younger generations are coming in like, no, if she is not giving me consent, like, nothing is no, okay. No, exactly. And I'm like, that's so awesome. And then I think about the times where I've experienced, like, sexual violations from mm-hmm. men. And I'm, like, looking at their ages. And I'm like, these are older guys. You know, they're baby boomers. Mm-hmm. Or either they're, like, Gen Xers doing it. But I'm like, when it comes to, like, millennials... I'm not even really dealing with that issue. You know what I'm saying? And not to say that millennials and Gen Z can't do it or post millennials, um, but it's just like, it's less frequent I haven't experienced that. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've gone off. Let's get back. Okay. So what we were on. A question that I had too was like, you know, if people saw stuff happening why didn't they say anything, you know? Yeah, and um, what I was noticing is it seems like a lot of th- a lot of times if they did see it, they seem to either ignore it or just, you know, distance themselves altogether instead of calling it out. Yeah, but just because you distance yourself from something doesn't make you less responsible exactly. for it. Exactly, because it doesn't mean it's not happening. Right. You're just not there to witness it. Right. And even like, you know, if I saw you doing something crazy, you know, I'm going to call you out. (laughs) You know that. Yes. Like, I'm going to be like, yo, what is going on? What are you doing? So it's like, you know, I wonder as we continue to look at this documentary, I wonder is are any of these people going to allege to have had conversations with R. Kelly where they asked him, you know, what are you doing? The human side of me hopes so. Yeah. Because I couldn't see, you know, people just allowing this to happen for years and not saying anything. Yeah. So that was that was a lot. That was part one. And then part one introduced us to Elizette Martinez. She met R. Kelly at 17 years of age in a mall, I believe, in Miami. Mm-hmm. The encounter was very casual. You know, she saw him. He heard that she said his name. They said hello. He said he was just recording some stuff. And she was like, oh, okay. And he was like done with the conversation and went off. Like you would expect. Exactly. And she alleges that a bodyguard came back to her, giving her R. Kelly's phone number. Mm-hmm. 
and saying that R. Kelly wanted her to call him. And that's how their relationship started. Her relationship with him ended after she miscarried. Yes. And also became sick with mono. Mono that led to some other complications Mm -hmm. and she almost died. Exactly. Yeah. At this point, the documentary begins to introduce allegations of R. Kelly's controlling nature Mm -hmm. and allegations of his abusive nature. Yes, it does. So Lizette Martinez begins to talk about those things. And then we go into part two. Part two is titled Hiding in Plain Sight. Yeah. And for me, um, I'm just going to go with what I think about this. It's, uh, it's It puts to the question the difference between younger women and kids. Because a lot of this you'll see um, the girls would be younger than 18. So you'll see... Uh, 14, 17, like what we've had so far, and more coming. And you're just at this point where it's like, um, I think there was an interview that comes into it uh, where the question is, um, do you like, what did he say, do you like younger women? And he said, how young is young? And um, So Bruce Kelly was talking about his brother, R. Kelly, and he said, Robert likes younger women. He point blank said that. Yes. Younger women. Okay, so younger women doesn't necessarily mean underage women, right? Exactly. You know? So he says Robert likes younger women and that he liked Bruce Kelly liked older women. And then he went on to say that this was a preference Mm -hmm. and was asking what's the issue with his brother's preference of liking younger women. But then that brings us to what Dante is saying, like, okay, younger women or underage or kids, girls, you know, kids, younger women, women or kids. And this kind of leads me to go back to something that the documentary opened with in part, part one. R. Kelly did an interview on BET with a journalist. I think his name is Ture. I think it is Ture. And the interviewer asked him, do you like teenage girls? Point blank, period. R. Kelly's response was, quote, when you say teenage, how old are we talking? Unquote. Yep, there it is. When I think about dating... And younger women, younger men, you know, I'm not thinking about teenagers. No. Because to me, an 18-year-old, I don't even look at them like a teenager. Even though, yeah, they're still in the teenage years, 18, 19, clearly it's a T-E-E-N, right? Exactly. It's a teen, but we don't look at them like that. We look at them like young adults. Exactly. You know, anybody under that is a kid. And honestly, for me, when kids 19 years old try to talk to me, I'm like, you're a kid. What are you doing? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, how old are you? Yes. No, Stop no. lying about your age. <laughs> Come on. Like, how old are you? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm not even in that mindset. You know, so for me, younger women, younger men is not anybody even under 18 no 
at all. If you're under 18, you're a kid. Yes. Because for me, honestly, if you're probably under 20, you're a kid. Your brain is still developing. I agree. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Okay, so we kind of went on. A little tangent? We definitely did. So at this point in the documentary, it begins to introduce more emotional and physical abuse allegations. Lizette talks about an experience where R. Kelly allegedly smacked her for looking at her speaking to someone that she wasn't supposed to be. And also in this part of the documentary, we meet R. Kelly's Mm ex-wife, Andrea Lee. Well, Lee at the time, Andrea Kelly. Yes. She was a dancer. She met him when she was 19 years old. And she was... She was enamored by him. Mm -hmm. And she knew he couldn't read or write well. But he asked her to help him learn to read. Yes. And that stuck with her. You know? She also started talking about how some of the control stuff Mm -hmm. allegedly started at this point. You know, when her parents wouldn't be able to contact her. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she didn't realize that her number was, quote, being changed. Yes. Unquote. So I guess her parents were calling her and they couldn't even get through. Mm -hmm. And I think um, Lizette had something similar in that um, statement as well. She had that where her mom called her. And a lot of what you hear, um, it, and these are all alleged, is that um, once R. Kelly starts to... Uh, show his control he likes to be called daddy yeah that's one of these um don't ask me to call you daddy just so you know i would never do that thank you ever no worries i appreciate you (laughs) the only people that need to call you daddy is the kids are your children exactly they came from your loins or whatever sorry no i agree um sorry uh I think the biggest one that got me was listening to Sparkle's story. Mm-hmm. And Sparkle is a um, R&B artist who was um, working with R. Kelly uh, a lot. And she did background vocals for him. She did. Yeah, she was actually one of his original background um, vocalists. And um, mm. she backs up R. Kelly's ex-wife's claims. Yes. Andrea Kelly. Because we've seen Andrea Kelly on the news Mm -hmm. sharing her story um, in recent years. But she says that she was hanging out with R. Kelly. They were watching, I think, a Bulls game. And there was a knock at a door, which R. Kelly allegedly didn't respond to. Yes. And until Sparkle said something to him, like, essentially, like, don't you hear somebody at the door? (laughs) And we're laughing and we're not meaning to make light of the situation. So if anyone is offended, we apologize for that. But um, he acknowledged the knock. And at this point, she said that it was, and she, Sparkle said that it was Andrea Kelly. And she asked if she could get food. Yes. So again, this is just pointing out the nature that a lot of these allegations are claiming that R. Kelly is controlling. Mm-hmm. You know, Andrea Kelly called him, quote, a control freak, unquote. She said that. But to think, like, 
you have to ask, can you get food? Yeah. I'm hungry now. You don't have to ask me if you can eat. I know. I know. You better know. So at this point, you know, they had different psychologists Mm -hmm. coming in and talking about, like, abuse and from the abuser's standpoint Mm -hmm. and then how the abuser who wants to be in control... Um, You know, they lost that control when they were younger, but now they want to be in control. They're giving it back out. And we're introduced to Elisa Van Allen. Yes. Lisa Van Allen met R. Kelly when she was 17 years old. She was asked to accompany someone to... uh, Video? Yeah. A um, video recording. Yeah. So when she went, R. Kelly was there. And he called her over... R. Kelly called Lisa Van Allen over through someone else and talked to her from that point, asked her how old she was, and she said 17. And she felt like he was 31 at that point, Mm -hmm. and that once she said 17, he wasn't going to want to talk to her. And then she also said she was shocked that he even tried to talk to her because she probably was the youngest person there. Yes. And this is what she is alleging happened. But during their first meeting together he took her on a tour bus Mm -hmm. or on the bus or whatever and began engaging in sexual activities with her yes and she talks about what they did Mm -hmm. um like what type it was oral and then yeah sexual acts Mm -hmm. so um she said that he was kind of back and forth between the bus and then the recording until it was over And then he sent her home, Mm -hmm. told her to go straight to the car, and they exchanged phone numbers. Yep. She said she took about a month to call him. Mm -hmm. When she called him, he's like, do you want to come to Chicago? Or when can you come out here? Or something like that. I forgot. Um, But she ended up telling her mom about it. And she said she felt like her mom knew that she wouldn't be able to stop her daughter from pursuing it. And she went. Lisa Van Allen went. She said that he, R. Kelly told her pretty early not to speak to other men mm-hmm. and to call him daddy. That all started pretty early. She introduced him to what was, um, she, well, they had a threesome together. Yes. And she said that he allegedly told her this was his first time. Mm-hmm. And that he wanted to do it with her. Yep. And then from that point, it started happening more frequently, mm-hmm. the threesomes. And then something different happened. They had a threesome, but it was with a young-looking girl. Yes. Now, she knew she was 17. 16. No. Lisa Van Allen oh, knew she... that she was 17. Mm-hmm. And she didn't make a big deal out of it she just felt like r kelly liked her this is what she is saying okay Mm -hmm. none of this has been substantiated she is saying this but when she saw this young girl that had been invited to have sex with them she was weirded out and she didn't say it in those words allegedly R. Kelly told lisa van allen that the girl was 16 years old yes and he wanted to try something new she did it. She cried during the act. She didn't like it. 
she said she had to be coached on what to do while the girl that was supposed to be 16 years old seemed to know what to do from that point it happened again so lisa van allen says that she and r kelly allegedly engaged in sex with this girl that was supposed to be 16 years old more than once now later on she finds out that this girl is 14 years old this is what lisa van allen is saying yes she finds out that the girl is 14 years old do you remember that in the documentary i do and not only that the uh girl turns out to be the niece of sparkle the um that's what it seems like mm -hmm. even though they didn't say that yes now sparkle introduced her niece to r kelly her niece was 12 years old when she did this yes her niece was a rapper mm -hmm. and she wanted r kelly to help her niece as r kelly was helping her correct and when i say her i mean sparkle Sparkle now regrets that decision. Mm -hmm. Completely. And although the documentary did not say that, you know, Sparkle's niece was the same 14-year-old that was engaging in threesomes with R. Kelly and Lisa Van Allen, mm -hmm. it kind of insinuates that. Yeah. So we're going to leave you guys with that. I know that's really heavy because for us, it's really, really heavy. Yeah. And we don't want to think about this anymore because we want to go to bed and have great dreams tonight. Yes. So what we're actually going to do <laughs> is pray when we get off of here with you guys and put something on TV that's very light, probably like some cartoons. I'm good with that. You good with that? Yes. Okay. But, um, yeah, that was part one and part two of Surviving R. Kelly. Again, everything that we've talked about is alleged. Yes. Um, and R. Kelly still denies all claims. Yeah, of sexual misconduct with minors, of sexual abuse and sexual violence. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, this stuff is really, really heavy. It's crazy to see. It's crazy, crazy to see. But... We don't even know if we're going to come back and talk about this anymore because, honestly, this is a very heavy subject to talk about. And we don't really like it. And Dante does not like looking at stuff like this. I don't. Yeah. It totally is. Um, yeah. And I feel like as the documentary goes on, they're just going to get more into it. I agree. Because parts three and parts four are supposed to be about the 2008 case against R. Kelly, which was the allegations of child abuse related to this tape mm -hmm. that came out that was supposedly him in this tape with a 14-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So um, that's what's happening in parts three and parts four. So we know that's really going to be heavy. And, and there's part. a part five and a part six as well and five and six are talking about the recent claims of r kelly withholding oh, women yes. from their families that are trying to get in contact with them so yes yeah, really really heavy we don't know if we're going to come on and do this again 
but um, you guys are more than welcome to watch the documentary if you can watch it. We just pulled it up on Amazon. Yes. Yeah. You got anything else to say? No. This is um. Yeah. This this is a lot. So we're gonna pray and um. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening and tuning into the Smoking Prophet podcast. If you haven't joined our text list, go ahead and join. You just text the word Blaze, B-L-A-Z-E, to the number 31996. We send out weekly alerts, prophetic life advice, insights to help you do life better because that's what we're all trying to do. And we're going to go ahead and get off. All right.